0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. It's Sunday, August seventh. We're returning to the Book of Romans for the next couple of months. Aaron Couch is back with us in Moscow today, reminding us that our righteousness only comes through faith in Christ. He encourages us to be about the business of celebrating any time we see Jesus at work in the world, instead of the business of deciding who's out and who's in.
1: Good morning, Real Life. How are we doing? So glad to have you here. I really do want to be totally 100% self-promoting on this Israel trip. Um, Not because it promotes me. Uh, What I will tell you is, we, like I said in the video, there's 32 spots. 14 of them are spoken for already, and it's 10 months away. And the reason why I say that is because if you want to go, I'd love to have you come. It's going to be awesome. You need to get your deposit in, and then you'll have. 10 months to pay it off. You don't have to pay it all off at once. But um, anyway, it's a, it changed your life. This triple change life. Um, you know, if you love God, you'll go. Just We'll see who the 32 people are that love God. And the rest of you, I don't know. <laughs> That was a little bit over the top. All right, too much, too much, too much. No, I really want you guys to come with. It's going to be an awesome experience. And if you've been thinking about going to Israel, here's my sales pitch. I'm taking my son and my oldest daughter. My oldest daughter and my oldest son are coming with us. And so um, if there was ever a trip that you wanted to go on, this would be the one because we're going to do all the bonus features. Um, all those things that are on the bubble will just stay out later because it's my kids. So um, it'll be awesome. Anyway, make, make sure you get information about that. I need to talk to our Pullman peeps. We're welcoming Pullman in this morning, so we need to give them a shout out. I just want you to know, Pullman, I was supposed to be there this morning. And here's what happened. Marty went to this place called Israel and Turkey. <laughs> And Derek went on vacation, like that matters. And so we weren't sure Paul was going to be back from CIY. There's always a contingency, and he was gone all last week. So I'm the only guy who could preach. So I had to do it from here. But next week, I will be in Pullman, and I will be excited to see you guys. I miss my Pullman peeps. It's good to be home. I I, uh, I had fun out traveling gallivanting around the countryside. Uh, it's good to see people and reconnect with them. Many of the people that we got to see were people that were here and in, have moved to Spokane or Coeur Post Falls or something like that, and they're going to one of the real life so It was good to see them again, but it's just good to be home. You know what I mean? It's weird. It's good to be home. So uh, glad to be here. We are back in Romans, and um, I'm excited about today's sermon. Today's sermon, <clears throat> just going to forewarn you, is a bit of an indictment on the modern church, and that's Okay. So uh, buckle up, because I get pretty passionate about this kind of a thing. And so I want to make sure that we frame this up right. Remember that um, Paul's been talking about the fact that um, there's actually to life, there's actually to death. It doesn't matter which moral code you pick. That was never really the point anyway. It was always about Jesus. It was always about faith in Christ. It's always been about that. And so we, we want to choose Christ. And if that's so simple, then why do I still have this struggle in me? And, and it seems like every time that I make a right decision, like I can have 80% good motives, but there's like the 20% that's a hundred, like all selfish right? You guys know that battle? Like, what do I do? Like, what I want to do, I don't do. And even when I do do good, there's this lot working me where sin's right there with me, condemning me. What's going on there? How do I, how do I get to 100% pure motives? And what Paul says is, that's the wrong question. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So stop worrying about it. Let's do our thing, right? Right? You are always gonna have impure motives at some level in everything you do. The goal is that we do what we do because we believe in Christ and the rest of it we move forward with, okay? And by the way, if you believe you can purify your heart 100%, Um, please come and talk to me, because you can preach. (laughs) Uh, I mean, like, honestly, there's, I'll just be honest with you about the preaching. Like, I love preaching the Word of God, and I I hope that it blesses you, that it inspires you to the fullest life possible. There's also a piece of me that wants you to come up to me and go, man, that rocked my world, (laughs) right? Like, you are not since Moses came down off the mountain. Like, has there been anyone? Like, I want, there's a piece of me that wants that, if I'm honest, and, and no matter how much I pray up and no matter, like, I don't want anyone to go, gosh, you are terrible. Like, I don't want anyone to say that. Um, so we all wrestle with that, right? Don't worry about it. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, but we don't like that. And so what he says in chapter 9 is, God's sovereign, who is the clay to say to the potter that you did it wrong? So, what, what Paul's saying is, look, if you've got a problem with God and the way that he set things up, if this represented your problem, you could get over it. That's what he's saying. But it's, God doesn't need to bend to your opinion. God, uh, I think Jim said this last week really well, right? Like, God doesn't have any obligation to honor your definition of what the Christian life should be. Only his own. So, get over it. Like that. It's kind of where he's at. Now, today, what we're going to pick up is we're going to do the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10 because I think that the chapter and verse breaks here are not in a good spot. And, and remember, those aren't inspired. The numbers aren't inspired. They were added later. Um, but the, let's pick up in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 30. What then shall we say? that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the laws the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Okay, let's talk about this for a second because here's the question. So what are you saying, Paul? These Gentiles who didn't do a daggum thing but believe in Jesus, they got justified by faith. But those of us who've given our, law, our lives to the moral code, we didn't get it. Is that what you're saying? It's a good question. Right? Because we love the idea of fair. And so we try to leverage fair. Fair by our own definition. I'm telling you, I have that effect on people a lot. We have have this, this issue of fair. We want things to be fair. Now, We want things to be fair in regards to me, but graceful in regards to me, right? Like, you and I better be equitable when it benefits me, but if I get a little bit extra, that is okay. Are you with me? This is how we view it. Now, the Jews had a term for this. They said they had carried Torah. That, they, this phrase that they used was, we have borne the burden of the heat of the day. We, car- we suffered. We, we were the ones that held the rules. We were the ones that did this. We did it. How dare those stinking Gentiles. When I was in Bible college, this is a few years ago, a few years ago, a couple <laughs> it's becoming, it's a long time ago. All right. There was this raging debate in the Christian world about whether or not deathbed conversions were valid. It was, oh, it must be nice. You get all the way to the end of your life and right at the last minute, you acknowledge Jesus to get yourself out of hell. Blah, 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 right? Like, how dare you? Who do you think you are? You, be be, be like the... So this is what us us Jesus followers, us moral, you know, giants, that's what we would say because we bore the, we carried the moral code. We bore the burden of the heat of the day. How dare you? I've been following Jesus since before I was born. (laughs) I made Jesus my Lord and Savior the second day after conception. And that meant something to me. Here's, (laughs) I don't really want to talk about it. Here's the thing. Jesus tells a story about this, where the landowner goes out and he hires some people in the morning and he says, come work in my vineyard and I'll pay you a day's wage. I'll pay you for a whole day's work. And then he hires some people at 11 and some at uh, 3 and then some at 5. And, and he says to his steward, he says, I want you to pay everybody, starting with the people who came last, I want you to pay them and then working all the way to the people who worked all day. Well, they gave everybody a denarius. So the people who had been there all day expected more than they were promised. And so they, they get mad at the landowner. And they say, how could you pay them the same that you paid us? We bore the burden of the heat of the day. And the landowner says, don't I have the right to do with my own money whatever the heck I want? Or are you mad because I'm generous? If this was your problem, you could get over it. Right? So let's go back to the original question in Romans chapter 9. What are we going to say then? That the Gentiles who had no part in the law got a righteousness from faith, and those of us who've carried the law, we didn't get that righteousness? Here's Paul's answer. You ready? Well, why not? What's the problem with that? It's totally empathetic. What's the problem with that? Because if they pursued it not by faith as if it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, "Say I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to same. That's what he says. What he says is, well, what's the problem with that? They didn't try to earn God's approval. They found Jesus. They tripped over the stone. They found Jesus and they started acting like him. It's weird how that works out. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by that. Now, wait, don't change the slide yet. I want to show you what Moses is about to do here, or what Paul's about to do. This is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. Paul's going to do something that is totally rabbinic. When a rabbi quotes a scripture, he doesn't mean the scripture. He means the context around it. Now, who's going to be familiar with that, the Jews or the Gentiles, okay? But what he's going to say, what he's going to force the Jews to do is to admit that the Gentiles are okay. So they're going to have, when the Gentiles are like, what is he doing? They're going to have to be like, well, what he means is you guys, you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's brilliant. What he does here is brilliant. Check this out. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is from faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Okay, let's stop there. Uh, I want to go to a passage in Leviticus 18, and I want to keep this phrase in mind, the person who does these things will live by them. This is a pull quote out of Leviticus 18. Check this out. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Now, here's what he's saying. Look, you guys are coming out of a land, Egypt, where they did all this nasty stuff. We don't want you to act like them. You're going into a land called Canaan where they do all this nasty stuff. Different nasty stuff, but it's all nasty. I don't want you to act like them either. I want you to act like this law. You know why? Because it opens up the opportunity for you to fully realize your potential. Now, here's the problem. What we do is we try to say, God, I'm doing these things so you owe me. which I think is hilarious. I'm doing all the right things, God so that that now I can get in. That's what the Jews were saying and what God is saying, what Paul is saying in Romans that I think is brilliant is this. Listen. You can't earn God's approval. You don't earn God's approval by keeping the rules. You earn God's approval because he made you. And that doesn't ever change. So go screw up. He still thinks you're pretty incredible. Because he made you. Right? Are you with me? Now, why then do we have to follow the rules? Why are the rules there? Why is the moral code there? Well, because there are acts that lead to life and there are acts that lead to death. That's what Paul's been saying in Romans. Because at the end of the day, the acts that, that lead to life lead to life. And if you're like, well, gosh, that's so complicated. Look at, go back to Romans 9 and look at what Moses, or what Paul and Moses say next. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what it does say, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, let's think about this for a second. Paul takes three quotes out of one passage in Deuteronomy. We probably should pay attention to that. Just from a strictly Bible study standpoint. We should probably pay attention to that. Check out this passage in Deuteronomy. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Okay, did Moses think that it was impossible for us to follow all the rules? No. He said, it's not not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. By the way, Paul says the same thing. He says as to legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. He kept the law. They followed the rules. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This is what Moses is doing. He is not giving them a moral code by which they might get saved. And what Paul says in Romans is, look, when you believe in your heart that Jesus Lord confessed with your mouth, you're saved. It's done. Stop worrying about it. So why do we have all the rules? If it's that simple, why do we have all the rules? We have all the rules Because the rules help us maximize the life that we live today. Think about this. How does this archaic old law apply to us? Let's think about it. So you go to work tomorrow. Most of us are going to go to work. And uh, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Somebody's going to hurt your feeler. What do I do? What does the word of God say about this? Forgive. <laughs> no. <sighs> Mind blown, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. Th- listen, it actually works that we follow the rules not to get in or out. It, th- and this is where I believe the church in America fails miserably. Because we try to act as if our way of understanding right and wrong in religious practice, in life's moral code, that is the way for people to understand. And while there may be people who have slightly different views and opinions in heaven, we're the ones, like, why would you only be at a six or a seven life when you could have a ten? I mean, who in the world would ever send their children to public school? Right, like whatever. That's just one of a myriad of places where people we could like. The church wants to fight, battle back and forth. What about premillennial dispensationalism? What about you know? What about what about what's your eschatology? What, what what's your whatever? You pick it. Whatever you are, you care? Are you full of the spirit? Is this church spirit filled? Yeah, kind of. Probably don't mean the same thing, but yeah. Like, I think I think I have as much of the Holy Spirit as is able to give, be given to me. Like, there's a lot of it. He talks to me all the time. I wish he'd shut up sometimes. <sighs> it's just convicted me, you know. Leading me down the path of righteousness. All that love, joy, peace, patience thing. Wish that was... Wish I didn't have to do that sometimes. Anyway... All these points of division that we have and we try to define by that who's in and who's out. If you don't believe the way I do, you're out. And I would suggest you're missing the point. Right? You're missing the point. If you believe that it's your particular systematic theology that saves a human being, then you don't know what Jesus is doing on the cross. This is about faith in Christ and him crucified alone. We are saved by grace through faith alone. There is nothing added to that. Stop trying to define everybody out of the church and start living by the daggum code you're trying to get everybody else excited about. Even if it's wrong. Because guess what? Reality is a great teacher. Kevin Lehman calls this reality discipline. This is why Paul has the freedom to say, choose your moral code. Choose it. Your moral code will tell you whether or not it works based on the results you get from choosing that life. This is, by the way, it's a great way to parent. It's a great way to parent. Like with our kids, when our kids were little, we used to, I got this series from Kevin Lehman called Making Your Kid's Mind Without Losing Yours. It was a great series and he talks about reality discipline in there and, and one of the things that we did was like the reality is if you use the outside voice you should be outside. Now you know when you have kids they, and we had kids that were like especially bad at this for some reason. They'd, like scream loud I was like hey it's your outside voice. If you want to use outside voice you outside. So like we would we wouldn't put them outside outside you know in like December January. We put them in the garage which was colder but it wasn't outside in the sub-zero temperatures so we say, hey, if you want to use your outside voice, you go outside. So we send them outside. And then sometimes we forget about them. <laughs> like in their diapers, sitting outside in the garage. And I'll never forget my son, Gabe. He was a little guy. He was like two or three, you know, and he's right at the tail end of having diapers. Uh, and he was sitting out there, and, and uh, I, we left him out there like five minutes. It wasn't like a long time, but... Um, it was longer than we had anticipated, so I opened the door, and there he is, and the little crack of his tush is hanging out the top of his diaper, you know. He's sitting there like this. All I was like, I said, Gabe, what'd you learn? I will not use my outside voice ever again. <laughs> it's like, reality discipline. Like, it's great. Like, it works. Reality is our best teacher, and what we do in the church is we try to short-circuit Reality. And it bothers me because we're trying to point out, like, well, if you do this, then that means you are this. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And if it does, I bet reality will tell you. Like, it's weird how when you're in school and you don't turn your grades in, you don't turn your homework in, you get an F. Weirdest thing. I don't know how I got And then you gotta give your report card to your parents, right? And you're like, I don't know. I don't, well, let's go look at your grades. See all these missing assignments? It's really hard to have a score when you don't have a score. Zero is zero every time, right? It's weird. Turn your homework in. Accent lead to life, lead to life. Accidents lead to death, lead to death. Reality is our best teacher. So rather than trying to say, my dogma is the right dogma and everyone who doesn't stack up to it is wrong. Which, by the way, First of all, is isn't even true. You're not that smart. And secondly, it's not godly. And thirdly, it doesn't even work for you. If it did work for you, you'd look more like Jesus. Like, what, are we, what am I supposed to do? When in doubt, look like Jesus. It will work every time. It will work every single time. When in doubt, act like Jesus. Like, that's what Paul's screaming. It's not so complicated. It's not way out there that you have to sin. Like, it's really close. It's really simple. It's almost, it's almost too simple. It's almost too simple. When in doubt, act like Jesus. But I don't want to do that. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. That the, the did, they did that to me, and they don't have to pay for it. Have you forgotten what grace feels like. Have you forgotten what it feels like to be lost? Because I wonder sometimes when we get in that posture, how long it will be before God takes us out into our own personal desert. Are you with me? It reminds us what thirsty feels like. And I find again and again and again that when I'm talking with somebody who's very black and white, rigid, dogmatic, mean, they're not far from the desert. Because God loves them. Because God loves them. Not because he's mad, not because he wants them to pay, because he wants to remind us all that it's not our dogma that saves us. It's grace through faith alone. And that's enough. And so rather than trying to figure out where all of us are different, what we should be doing is celebrating every time we see Jesus at work. Whether that person is saved or not, we can still celebrate Jesus at work in their life. And what we often assume is, well, Jesus doesn't work in a person's life until they're saved. not true. (laughs) Did you see that? That was self-control. That was the spirit working in me. (sighs) (sighs) Save that barrage of emails. (laughs) It's not true. It's not true. Listen to me. Celebrate Jesus everywhere you see him working, whether that person is saved or not. And if you don't like it, Because there's way more important things for us to worry about than whether or not somebody's dogma's right, according to me, right? That's really what it boils down to. Is your dogma right, according to me? Oh, and by the way, I'm giving you a dogma that you can totally disagree with. But the point still stands, act like Jesus, you can't go wrong. Think about this in in Luke 15 with the parable of the prodigal son. The son goes out, and he squanders his sustenance on riotous living, right? I speak fluent King James squanders his sustenance on riotous living and then comes home and his dad forgives him. And the older son is mad because it's not fair. I've been here doing the right thing all along and you don't even give me a party for me and my friends with the goat. Dad's like, listen, I get it. I get what you're saying. Like, everything that I have is yours. It's not like we're bringing him back into the inheritance. But we had to celebrate. Because your brother who was dead is alive again. Like, why can't we care about that? Why do you have to worry about the fact that they didn't do it right? Guess what? Neither did you. Stop acting like it's it's all right and all my way. And when I mess up, grace is good. But when you mess up, you better get your crap together. (laughs) Come on. It's time for the church to tell a better story. Are you with me on this? That's what Paul is screaming for in this passage. In Acts 13, and I'm going to go this quickly. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are in Pisidian Antioch. And they go to the synagogue on, on Shabbat, and they are sitting there, and the, the Hazan of the synagogue asks him, asks Paul, hey, if you have any words of encouragement for us, would you come up and talk? Now, think about this for a second. I think we give Paul and his relationship to the Jews a bit of a bad rap, because think about this. If the arch nemesis of real life on the Palouse came and sat down on the front row, what are the odds that I would say, hey, come on up and speak? The mic is yours right? No one would ever do that. Neither would they. That's ridiculous. So he gets up and what he does is he reframes the entire history of the Jewish people through the lens of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. To which we automatically would say, the Jews will blow a gasket at that. Jesus is Messiah. Come on. That's their problem with you Christians. No, it isn't actually. What they say is, that's interesting. Come back next week and tell us more. And the next week, almost the whole town is there, and the Jews get jealous, so they start to incite a riot. And here's what Paul says He says, Hey, not only is Jesus enough for you Jews, but because of Jesus, you Gentiles, you're in too. And they blow a stack. <laughs> no! Get out! Yeah, they start, and so to the point where Paul and Barnabas have to shake the dust off their feet and leave. Like you have to leave that town. Listen to me. The message of the gospel, like the problem that people have with the message of the gospel, has never been Jesus as Savior and Lord. We like Jesus. That's easy. The problem with the gospel that we have is who the message of grace lets in. That's the part that we wrestle with. And what Paul's saying is, you better get used to it. Because when you get to heaven, there's going to be three things that we're surprised by. At least three. The three things that I know for sure. One is, who's there? We're going to be surprised at who's there, right? I may even show up. (laughs) He's really no, not that guy. Two is who's not there. We're going to be surprised by that, I think. And number three is why. We're going to be surprised by who's there. We're going to be surprised by who's not there. We're going to be surprised by why on both of those things. So rather than trying to define who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, who's with us and who's against us, we, we get into this, and it's not a Christian problem. It's an American problem. It's our mindset. We want to know who's for us and who's against us. We want to know who our enemies are, right? How about this? What if we loved our enemies? <laughs> I know it sounds like Jesus. But then you wouldn't know who is against you. You would simply just be pulling for the good in one another. And maybe that's what the kingdom of God ought to look like. <laughs> Tosh is with me. All right. So, that being said, guys, listen to me. The church has got to stop forcing people into their religious traditions. Those traditions aren't bad, but they also aren't the word of the Lord. And what we've done in church history is we've moved traditions out of the category of good ideas and into the category of thus saith the Lord. And that is wrong. That is wrong of us. Now, we're going to work through some implications. But while we're doing that, um, we're going to pass out communion. And so for those of you that are new with us, what I want you to know is we have at our church an open table. And what that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake in communion with us. But we would ask you you hold the elements till the end and we'll take them together. So while they're passing that out, Uh, we're gonna work through our implications and there's probably a lot more implications and and I'm sure I'm missing a lot of stuff, but I wanna give you some, some things that I think are particularly important to help frame the conversation up going forward, okay? First one is this. Righteousness has always been a result of faith in Christ, not a precursor to it. It's always been a result of faith in Christ, not a precursor to it. Please hear me in this for those of you that are sitting in this room today thinking or have heard somebody else say, I just need to get my life cleaned up before I start coming to church. Righteousness is a result of faith, not a precursor to it. You don't have to have things met, figured out before you come here. We're the island of misfit toys. Like you, you can come here anytime. You are welcome here. And for those of you that have said to yourself, oh, this Church just full of hypocrites. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And you are one. I would say this. If the church isn't full of hypocrites, then something's radically wrong with our message. Either we're just saying nothing's wrong, whatever you want to do is fine, or we're not taking seriously what it means to share the love of Jesus with the world. If we're doing either of those two things well, then the church is going to have hypocrites in it. Just the way it is. Question is, what do we do with it? Next implication, righteousness. Go back, back one slide. Righteousness has always been a result of faith, not a precursor to it. Okay, next slide. Sorry. Rather than trying to decide who's in and who's out, we should be in the business of celebrating all people anytime we see Jesus at work anytime, anywhere, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it didn't fit into my expectation of what it was supposed to look like, even if God only works in this box in my mind, and then all of a sudden he shows up over here. Have you ever, de- have you ever noticed that as soon as you have your life all planned out, God takes your life in the palm of his hand and he goes, "Ah, oh, I love your plans. <laughs> so so noble. Oh. <laughs> <Aww>. So precious." <laughs> 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 Have you ever noticed God doing that? Yeah, he does that to me on the daily. I just use it on the daily, in a sermon. Thank you. High five, everyone. Uh, (laughs) Listen, rather than trying to make God fit into my box, maybe it's time for us to start celebrating God wherever we see him, because what that does is it gives us the freedom to celebrate the good, the redeemed in a person. Rather than trying to point out every place where they haven't measured up, right it's like telling a person who's trying to run a marathon and they've run like 15 miles like a marathon's 26.2 miles that's a long way for us to run right and they've run 15 miles and they come by the 15 mile mark and you're like oh my word you have like 11 miles left <laughs> that's motivating <laughs> like we know that doesn't work in real life we know that it doesn't work in real life we know but we still try to talk about god that way with other people. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Another implication, the gospel message isn't only about getting in. It it is about salvation. Don't take salvation out of the gospel, but it's not only about salvation. It's about new birth, new creation bursting forth right in the midst of this one, and everyone everywhere is invited to participate. Everyone, everywhere. Last implication, God is for people. All of them. God is for you. And before you let your mind run to the, but you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know mistakes I've made. You don't know what mistakes have been made to me. You don't know the life I've lived. You don't know the pain I've incurred. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. That is absolutely true. I don't know. He does. And he knew it before you were born. And he knew it when he said, I love you no matter what. And by the way, he's the only one that really understands what that means. So he's the only one that can say that phrase and actually mean it. So before we start questioning God... Maybe we should recognize that whatever God does is for our good. When in doubt, look like Jesus. When you don't know what to do in a situation, when you don't know how to handle what, what, look like Jesus. You'll never go wrong looking like Jesus. You'll never go wrong looking like Jesus. When you have questions about faith and church and doctrine and theology and all those other things, that is wonderful. That is amazing. Look like Jesus. When you have questions about how you've been treated or how you've been hurt, look like Jesus. It's easy. Let me rephrase that. It's simple. Maybe the hardest thing you've ever done. Looking like Jesus reminds us that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him this morning. And in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. which is shed out for you. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, I just want to say thanks for loving us, and God, thanks for your grace. Thanks for the invitation to see people as you do, not as right and wrong, good and bad, but as precious and full of potential. Lord, help us to call out the different places where we see you working. And thank you for the the ambiguity that grace provides that forces us to just love people well. In your name, amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Real Life. If you have any questions or feedback about this message, please send us an email at comment at liferotp.com. And if you'd like more information on the Israel trip Aaron mentioned at the beginning of his message, visit liferotp.com slash Israel. Romans, the declaration will continue next Sunday. Until then, be blessed and have a great week.